Okay, welcome to Power Pivots, the podcast where we explore the stories behind the fundamental career shifts and changes that have made all the difference. I'm your host, I go by Hatu, and today we're joined by... Rashad! Rashad Campbell, nice to have you on, sir. I'm excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course, of course. Thank you so much for making time. So I like to jump straight into it by asking people about their PowerPoints. PowerPoints, if you've ever heard of the show before, are three words or phrases that people use to describe themselves or they feel like encapsulate who they are. So Rashad, what would you say are your PowerPoints? Yeah, I think that it's hard sometimes to distill yourself down into three things. But for me, I would say that first and foremost, I'm a person that is adventurous. As much as I'm an introvert, I'm outgoing. If there's a volunteer ever needed in a situation, I'm the person that will kind of put myself out there. So I'm adventurous, interested in learning and kind of being a little vulnerable. In addition to that, I would say that I focused on impact and how I can connect with people, specifically the youth and future generations. And I would say money. I know it's a weird word, but when I say weird word, it's a weird way to describe yourself because I'm not obsessed with money. I'm not a person that is materialistic in any way. Just money is something that I think being an athlete and being a person that has played sports and loves sports, you can get almost consumed with sport. And one of the biggest things and messages I always like to say is, you know, you're going to spend money for the rest of your lives. Why not learn about it? Why not invest in educating yourself? And why not be very intentional about how you develop and handle your money habits? So adventurous, impactful, and money. Okay. Great words. Okay. Yeah. No, I like that. Very good. Okay. So I guess this will help us understand a little bit more about why you picked those words, but they always say that the story is told in hindsight and hindsight is 2020. So if you're putting on your 2020 glasses and looking back, tell me a little bit about your hindsight story. How did we get here? So it's so funny. I was in middle school and like, this is like where it all started. I was in middle school and I went on a shopping spree, kind of like back to school shopping spree with my friends. We're shopping. We go down to the gallery. It was called the gallery now. I think in Philadelphia, it's called the fashion district. It's kind of been upgraded. So we're down there. Let's say I went out with like $200. So I bought a pair of sneakers. I bought two pairs of jeans and I had about $50 left. Me and my friends were walking down the street. And if you've ever seen, they call it three card Monty, where they kind of move the card. You got to find the black card. You got to find the red card, whatever is the outlier. But they actually did it with bottle caps and like a red ball. And they're playing this game and the setup is you see somebody do it, they win, they give them the money, they walk away. And then you're like, oh, you're overconfident. So me and my homie, they were like, hey, next game, next game, we're taking a hundred dollars. So I put up 50, he put up 50 and we bet. And luckily I already got something when I was shopping, but I did that. I lost $50, you know, in seventh and eighth grade, it was a lot. And so my perspective was, it made me a lot more conservative with money because it was like, I lost $50 in a matter of two minutes. And so that kind of really shaped my financial identity. Not that I was a spender or flashy prior to that, but it made me a lot more conservative. And it also just made me realize if I'm ever going to bet or gamble, it's going to be outside of setting aside an amount of money that I want to participate in this experience with, if I want to have fun, it's going to be something where I'm betting on myself. So my athletic ability or my ability to contribute to some type of initiative versus just kind of pure luck and pure will. That was like my event that I think kind of set me on this path of like trying to impact individuals, teams, organizations, and really center that around money. And then from there, 
you know, Cornell, I was a business major and I was interested in finance, but I didn't know where I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be in the business field at some point, but transitioning into Cornell, I got exposed to finance and I had some great internships and things. And so when I left Cornell, I had an internship where I was doing sales at a private debt and equity firm. And so that really taught me a lot about the financial services space, but also about the financial industry, taught me a lot about traditional investments, alternative investments. I had to get my series seven, my series 63. So it really opened my eyes to investing in a way that I didn't know before. You know, what I knew investing growing up was real estate because my parents had done it and it's something I did fall in love with, but investing in a more traditional sense when you think about Wall Street and the big banks and different things. So it really just, again, broadened my horizon and allowed me to dig deeper into this thing that I was growing more passionate about, even though I had that conservative perspective, it was really shifted by my experience at Cornell and then my first job. So that was kind of like my background and how it kind of led me to this path because after I left that job, I really realized that, hey, money is great. Making money for this organization I was working for was great, but I wasn't having the impact. So coming back to like that word that I said in the beginning, impact, I'm adventurous. I was able to take that leap of faith. I was able to leave that corporate environment because I am adventurous, because I you know bet on myself. But money was there at the job, but the adventurous part wasn't there. I was doing something that was pretty safe and pretty monotonous, but getting back into the world of sports, the intersection of money and sports is how I was able to, I think, kind of revisit the, the three power points that we talked about earlier, being adventurous, you know, bringing back the impact and then also tying in the money. Okay. All right. That's a perfect answer because it really just encapsulates everything, right? I mean, at the few things that I was able to get from there is that obviously that experience through card Monty <laughs> got hustled, right? And taking more calculated risks, but at the same time, you still want to take bets, right? Like you still don't want to like give up on that aspect of betting, but you want to do it in a more calculated fashion. And whether that's betting on yourself or in the form of actual investment, and then everything can be all well and good. And I feel like a lot of folks get to this point where it's like things are going well, you're doing something that you have interest in, but then you start to think of like, where's the broader impact that you have? Or like, how do you make sure that it's something that's beyond yourself, beyond those that are around you, For sure. right? So you made a pretty interesting pivot that I have kind of admired from afar and kind of been able to see as we're having this conversation. Wanted to ask you more about like your power pivot, like kind of like what you did You've described a little bit about why you did it, but want to understand more about how you did it as well. So one of the things I kind of left out of the story, and if you ask me about, you know, four PowerPoints, one thing I'm very focused on, and it's like the reason I don't change my Instagram photo. It's not because I want people to always think that I'm a thirst trap. Like, <laughs> I literally, like, if we don't have health and wellness, if we don't focus on our health, our bodies, how we fuel our bodies with, then what is it all worth? Yeah. And so- being able to invest in my health and wellness is super important. So when I first got out of Cornell, I started a fitness company. I was, mm -hmm. I was and to this day, I still train people through my app. I send them workouts. I want to empower people that go to the gym, but just don't know what to do. Right. So yeah. you want to be empowered by having workouts sent to you, being able to go to the gym and execute them. And so I started that company as soon as I got out of Cornell. So 2012. And during that time, I met amazing people. So whether it was doing a boot camp at the art museum or doing different things, I met my current business partner because she came to a boot camp and she was just literally like the most intense person. And when people, you know, physically intense, and when I say intense, I mean physically dominant or physically 
assertive or aggressive and really in great shape, I want to know their story. I want to know their background. Yeah. So she happened to be a financial advisor. And I said, hey, I'd love to connect with you more. Do you mind being on the advisory board for my training company? Mm -hmm. She decided to do that. And so we would meet once a month starting back in about 2014. We would meet once a month. Started the company in 2012. Once a month starting in 2014, we would meet and we would just talk about finance. We would talk about you know the job I had. We would talk about training. We would work through all these things. And for me, I had that happen in 2014. Then I had my younger brother get drafted in 2015 to the NFL. And so the stars were aligning to say, okay, she told me about her career being on Wall Street, being at Lehman when uh, they went bankrupt and what she experienced going from wealth management to being a financial advisor, working for billionaires, decamillionaires, and professional athletes, and where she felt she had the most impact. I felt like her story was guiding me to be more efficient in my navigation of the financial services industry because she had 20 years, two decades of experience, and I was coming up on year three, year four. And I just wanted to be efficient. I didn't want to waste time. And so she was a pivotal person in my power pivot. And then my brother getting drafted, wanting to protect him being just a big brother. You know, you have siblings. I know that that's important. So wanting to protect him made me want to endeavor down this path and made me hyper invested in what I was learning to educate him, to be a resource for him. And ultimately, once 2017 came, my younger brother, who had been in the league for two years, he said he wanted a financial advisor. I met with financial advisors daily and regularly with my job. And so I made a decision after talking with Courtney, who my business partner is, and her giving me insight that one, she was interested in starting another business. Me being interested in doing something different after exploring all these avenues at my current corporation, I was like, well, my brother needs these resources. Courtney had the idea of starting a business that could provide them for my brother. And I was like, I believe in me. I believe in my brother. I believe in Courtney. Like at that point, you know, we had established a relationship to where now we had a nice little team, even though, you know, it would take a lot more than the three of us. I was confident in that my immediate network, some athletes that I'd known around the NFL. So that's what gave me the confidence. The people that I met along the way, the ability to combine my passion, sport and money um, is made me confident in my power pivot and why, you know, I am where I am today because it was built around passion and yes, it has evolved and, you know, name, image, and likeness has happened. And so many things have happened to where we kind of got into the space early, but it was all derived from passion, you know, the intersection of sports, money, and really just educating athletes. And so that's what gave me the confidence and why I ultimately did a power pivot, you know, yeah. great network and, and passion. Yeah, no, I mean. That is super helpful because a power pivot a lot of times seems like it's a leap, but what I describe it is like, it's not a leap, it's a pivot. Like you have to use some of the, what you have to get there, right? And I think it all goes back to some of the things that you were saying before, like this was a different adventure where you were taking a calculated bet, right? And it was focused around money, but you wanted to make sure that you're having impact for your brother, right? Being a good big brother as we all like to be, but also making sure that it's obviously going to affect generations, right, at that point. So it all kind of comes together of the different ways that you're able to do that. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about like some of the resources that you've used. Obviously, network is a huge one. Your background, and I don't know if you mentioned that you also played football before as well, right? Competitive athlete yourself. Yeah. I don't think I've mentioned it, but I played football at Cornell in addition to, you know, studying applied economics and management. 
you know, I was fortunate to be a captain. We didn't have a great team, but my junior and senior year, we had a very competitive team. So yeah. enjoyed the last couple of years there. Three-time captain, right? Three-time All-Ivy. Three-time All-Ivy. Yeah, one-time captain, three-time okay. Could have been two-time captain, but I'll go at it on one occasion. They missed out. They missed out. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but I just wanted to know some more, just understanding, like, what are some of the things, obviously, when you decided that you're going to make that switch and you're like, okay, we're actually going to go down this road. What were some of the things as you decided to, like, immerse yourself in that process and do the research? What are some of the aspects that you use to be able to give yourself even more confidence in making that calculated bet. So it's funny because the first two years that I went down this path, I actually didn't have an income. So one of the biggest things for me was, as I mentioned, being more conservative, I was a saver. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, my big thing was I was saving for real estate at the time and saving for real estate in addition to the investments I made through my company's 401k. I didn't realize it, but I was also saving for my departure from corporate, right? Like mm -hmm. things happen the way they happen. I put in a couple bids and offers on a home. They didn't go through. Mm -hmm. I ended up leaving corporate and, you know, I had this large lump sum that I effectively lived off for the next two years. And in terms of that type of calculation, I didn't know that that was going to be the circumstance initially. But what I did calculate and what I was confident in was I was building with a person in Courtney that believed in me and always empowered me in connecting with people. So whether it was her connecting with financial advisors, she knew she has a network where she knows various owners of sports teams. I was always in the room and at the table. Mm -hmm. And that gave me the ability to one, take meetings, not working a corporate job gave me the ability to learn about how many different ways people make money. Because one of the things that I think you always forget is if you do a nine to five or if you go from college to corporate, you don't recognize that there's so many different ways to make money. I think Instagram or social media just does a better job of highlighting that there's a million different ways to like get to a dollar. But until you go out and actually see people doing it, sometimes you don't necessarily believe like, hey, this person's making money, but like if they're selling digital products, you know, it may not seem real to you. But when I left corporate, I was able to take my day to day, still have that discipline and structure of mapping out my schedule, going to these meetings, getting coffee with people that I hadn't caught up with in years. So for me, it was about maximizing my time with the ultimate goal of building a business centered around money, athletes, and just building and empowering the sports ecosystem. And we started out with pro athletes and eventually moving down to collegiate and then down to high school now, but it was how can we impact the learning curve of professional athletes and really just help them because they have this reverse earnings curve and everybody talks about them going broke, but how do we just create this narrative of only positive stories, giving them the ability to navigate this space, be confident in their financial decisions. And so that was like the mission, but I knew that to get to where I wanted to go, I had to meet with people. I had to learn more. I had to more or less just put myself out there and, and, and connect. I started on LinkedIn more than I'd ever done before. So there's just certain things you do. And so that's what kind of, I would say, gave me my confidence. It was the people around me and it was the mission being, you know, hyper-focused, but understanding that the main thing was always impact on athletes in the sports world, but 
educating about money, we never had bad conversation. Yeah. So that was the thing. Everybody agreed with us. And even today, you know, people say financial education needs to be in the classroom. Why don't we learn about taxes in the classroom? Why don't we learn about budgeting and these different things in the classroom? So there was enough alignments of good ideas and good people that gave me confidence. And I'm a believer that money follows passion. Jay-Z has all the time. Like, you know, he always talks about don't focus on the money, focus on the, the business or focus on the mission and the money will follow. You know, yeah. Endeavor, have your passions, invest in your passions, that alignment will bring money. So that was kind of my mentality. It sounded like from a resource standpoint, almost like at the core of it was the means that you saved up, right? The money, it's either you acquire the means somewhere else or you make them for yourself, whether it's like saving, that enabled you to be able to, you almost buy your time back, right? Yeah. And my conversations I always have with people is like, the goal is not to make as much money as possible. The goal is to have as much money to use your time however way you want to use it. Now, one of the things that you always bring up that I find is interesting, and you mentioned a couple of times, is efficiency and discipline. Before we got on here, you were talking to me about your systems that you have at home, right? Of like how you operate. So I wanted to kind of understand a little bit more about how you built that. But then the other aspect that you spoke about is even when you met your business partner, being able to have a good sense of, of the person that she is, right? Being able to understand more about like the drive and the passion that she approaches things with and being able to say, hey, this is someone who I feel like outside of what we're doing here, I would like to connect with as well. So I think that those are resources that people may not think of in the traditional sense, but when you're doing something like this, especially when you're doing something entrepreneurial, having good senses of those definitely end up being helpful. Yeah. And I start with the finding the business partner. It's, it's not easy, right? Like finding a co-founder or finding a investor or finding a business partner, finding somebody you trusted kind of are just like taking this next chapter of life with. Uh, in any capacity is not easy, whether it's business, personal relationships, anything, right? So it's almost, you know, you do as much due diligence as you can and find out as much about the person, the individual as you can, but it's a lot of learning along the way. It's about uh, looking for the red flags and the positive indicators and then trusting that the main thing is the main thing is what really helped me. I was fortunate. So Courtney sons and I, we had the same alma mater, Okay, but she's 20 years my senior. So like a in terms of connecting, we connected because of a fitness class, right? Like other fitness class, we don't walk in the same rooms. We don't share the same friends. We don't have anything in common. So again, because she took me serious, I think I talked about the access she gave me in meetings. She never excluded me from anything. And to this day, we still take on conversations and roles and she trusts me. She'll tell me, hey, I can't make the call. I trust you. Like, So those are things that I think when you find the right person and the things that you're looking for in terms of business are reinforced. And now not only do you have confidence, but you also have like accountability because you don't want to let them down because right. they're invested in you and you, know, you have this certain respect for yourself and now the organization. So I think that finding her and us kind of connecting when we did and me being able to obviously leverage her background and experience on Wall Street and her being able to leverage my background in proximity to athletes in my brother's career, like it just works, right? In, in terms yeah. of our background. So I would say that's a tough thing. And I think that within pivots, finding the team is understated because we all know nobody does this alone, right? You may start alone, but like in terms of growth and evolution, like we all have some sort of team. 
somebody might put us on to certain resources. Now, I mean, the team might be ChatGPT, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has some type of team, whether it was resources, education, certification, something that's adding value to their experience. It's helping them evolve. And I think that just being diligent about getting to know people and when you find a relationship that you want to test or really maximize, just being a little bit more diligent about that. So I mentioned we went from, you know, meeting once a month for a couple of years to meeting three days a week. Then we yep. met five days a week. So we would just go to Starbucks, go to a coffee shop. And again, doing your due diligence of just, hey, assessing risk of the relationship, assessing risk of trusting your career in this person's hands and vice versa. Do you care enough to make sure that they're good? And so it was a process, but it worked out and it's still going well. I think the big thing about it is, you know, there's a honeymoon phase where like you think things are going to be great, but like we've lasted the test of time, you know, being that we connected in 2014 and it's now 2023, right? So it's like awesome. So you guys have mainly an NIL focus from an advising standpoint, right? Like, or athlete development. I wanted to hear a little bit more about what that looks like or how that takes shape, right? What does NIL consulting look like? Like, what does that process overall look like? And just understanding more about that space. So I'll tell you this. Our company's background is founded on financial education, legal education, and life skills programming slash education. Within those three pillars, you can create a dynamic and comprehensive NIL education. And that's what we do. NIL is the conduit or the vehicle that has collegiate athletics undivided attention. It's becoming very relevant in the high school space with just about, I want to say 30 high school states have. Oh, sorry, Rashad. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to make sure that we go back because I realized I didn't define it. In case folks don't know exactly what NIL is, yeah. can you just talk a little bit more? I'm so sorry. We just jumped right yeah. We just jumped right into it. Sorry, I didn't define it either, but let's just explain to folks what NIL is and kind of like what the implications are because it's relatively yeah. new. Yeah, so NIL stands for Name, Image, and Likeness. So as a person, you know, born in the U.S., or just born anywhere, but predominantly in the U.S., you're given rights to your name, your image, and your likeness. So no one can take your name and post it on a billboard commercially, make money off of it, without your given permission. If you have a common name such as John Doe, that's different, right? But if you have a unique name like Hatu or Rashad Campbell, these names will be protected by the rights of just being born a citizen. And in addition to that, until July of last year, everyone had those rights, but they were not permitted to be accessible to collegiate athletes. So collegiate athletes were prohibited from generating value or commercializing their name, their image, and their likeness. So the scholarships they got was the, you could say, the maximum amount of monetary value they could receive from an institution or any outside entity. After July of last year, the NCAA said, from now on, you can receive economic value for your name, your image, or your likeness. The traditional NIL or name, image, and likeness opportunities are in the form of endorsement deals, partner with local restaurants and gyms, appearances, camps and clinics. So it expands from endorsements, being an ambassador. It includes being entrepreneurial. You can start your own company. Before you would have had to get a compliance waiver and you could not associate your name, your baseball, football, basketball number, or anything specific to your athletic identity with this company you started. 
And that compliance waiver would be something that they would have to send off to the NCAA and then you would have to get approval prior to launching a business. But now they can't block any entrepreneurial endeavor because they can no longer prohibit you from making money off your name, image, and likeness. So again, name, image, likeness is the ability for athletes to make money in ways that they never made before. Right. And this is very, very lucrative for kids at a much younger age than some that would have gone professional, correct? So it's lucrative for... Lucrative is relative only because I say relative because you don't have to participate, right? So there's people that are five-star athletes that are very focused on their craft, very focused on their sport and do not participate. And on the other hand, there are people that are five-star athletes, four-star athletes, three-star athletes that make five, six, seven figures. So it's an opportunity to potentially make money in the traditional sense through, and we don't have to get too technical on this call, but in the traditional sense, through uh, corporations and businesses, so local, regional, and national businesses. But there's also this other side of NIL that is called the synthetic side of NIL, where alumni and boosters can contribute to athletic departments to provide them compensation. So they can provide $10,000 a year to an individual on a football team, $5,000 to an individual on a soccer team, $50,000, depending on the school, you can have alumni and booster support that complements anything that they may be able to go out and secure in the marketplace. Right. So it all factors in, but again, it can be lucrative if you are participating at high school. It obviously it's taking some time because I think one of the biggest challenges is you've told businesses and organizations prior to 2021 that they cannot pay athletes, they cannot support them financially. And now they have to unlearn everything they've learned for the past few decades to right okay, I can invest in this person to be a part of my marketing program or they could be an ambassador for me. And so companies have to learn not only the laws, but they also have to learn the dynamics of hiring an independent contractor and understanding what a contract looks like with an athlete. This isn't something yeah. on a regular basis. So it's a curve. The ecosystem needs education, all sides of it. And so it's complex, but Our company has gotten into that because, again, we're meeting schools where they are. We're meeting collegiate programs where they are. We're meeting high school athletes where they are because that is something that is very timely. It's in every headline. There was a headline today about the NCAA creating another memo about how NIL violations at the state level are not protected by state laws. So states are trying to say, if you violate an NIL law, the NCAA can't punish you, but the NCAA is reminding institutions that the NCAA is a voluntary member institution and you can voluntarily get kicked out. So as you would, but at the same time, it's like, if you don't abide by our rules, we don't have to let you play in our pool. We're understanding. Yeah. So I say that to say we focus heavily on NIL because it is something that has been very polarizing and very impactful to the world of collegiate athletics. And the collegiate athletics world is where we kind of set our anchor, but we work with pro teams, we work with high school teams, but NIL has been something that's pretty foundational or core to our team's identity. Awesome. And thank you. That was extremely comprehensive of just like understanding, obviously, like kind of what the whole ecosystem looks like. I think a lot of times when people think of NIL for obvious reasons, think more about NCAA and uh, college athletes, but hearing that it's actually at the high school level until I was doing some research for this, I didn't even realize that that was a consideration. I think it makes sense, but I don't think that's something that people necessarily really think of. So I wanted to ask a two-part question. Number one, I wanted to get some of your thoughts of 
some of the pros and cons. I think you've mentioned that, but just understanding some of your thoughts about like in the future where NIL is going and some of the advances that may end up happening. And for advance, uh, your company, right? Understanding more of some of the competitive advantages that you guys have in the space as you're working with some of these athletes. Yeah. So the world of NIL, there's a few ways to look at it. I think that the NCAA, the engine, the machine, it was built, and this is a huge argument or huge debate. It was built on the backs of revenue generating sports and the revenue generating sports are predominantly teams that field black and brown players. And so when you think about that and you think about who's benefiting from NIL, there's a disparity between the dollars are not going to the people that built the end machine, right? And so even though the NCAA has allowed athletes to retain their God-given rights or the rights that all citizens have, it does not make up for the injustices and the kind of detriment it has impacted previous generations, right? So that's the that's one of the, the leading narratives within the space. That NIL has not fixed any issues, right? So I think what comes from that is they still have to tend to these revenue-generating sports to make up for what they've wronged. And so the ways that that's going to happen, I think, is... It's not a matter of if, but when we're going to see revenue sharing between either conferences or the NCAA and the revenue generating sports, because at a minimum, these coaches were making exponentially more. So when you think about a coach making 10, 11, $12 million a year versus an athlete making the equivalent to $50,000 or let's call it $75,000 all in with room and board and scholarship, that is a significant gap, right? Yeah. About a gap of, hey, you can justify a coach that makes maybe 200 because 10 years ago they made 50, right? Yeah. But 10 years ago, college athletes made 30,000 because that was the value of their room and board. And now they double. Whereas if a coach makes 200,000, how do you get from 200,000 to 12 million? So when you think about that, the significant gap is going to be something that is consistently talked about. And so I think that the revenue share between the conferences and these most recent TV deals is what's going to change. And then also the NCAA, the money that they generate from March Madness, right? There has to be some type of distribution of wealth because there is some type of distribution because, right, the teams that win, they get some type of percentage. But just in general, uh, there needs to be a redistribution of wealth. And I think that the TV revenue that they generate is going to be the main catalyst for that because it's the largest pool of money in the most obvious way to kind of make amends, you know? So I think that that's one of the major trends. And I think the second question you asked me, what kind of differentiates our company in terms of what we do? Mm-hmm. So our biggest differentiator is that our team is unbiased. And when we say unbiased, it's that we have these backgrounds, we have this education, we have this knowledge, but we are not ever benefiting from the deals that athletes sign or the companies that athletes partner with or the organizations that they align with, right? So a lot of times, if you're a marketing agent, you know, you make 20% off of your client's deal, you're more incentivized to maybe send them to the highest bidder as opposed to the person that might be most aligned. So I think benefit is we want to educate and empower you to make the best decision for you. We're not going to help you always make the right decision, but we're going to make sure through our techniques, our processes, and the enrichment that we offer that you're going to be confident and empowered in the decisions that you make so that in the event that something goes wrong, there will be a recourse because there's a process, right? You know, you'll be able to go back and say, this is where I went wrong, or this is what I can adjust next time. But it's about empowering athletes 
to make their own decisions and own them. Because I think we want to focus on accountability. We want to focus on, I talked about this a little bit, being able to navigate spaces efficiently and effectively, mm -hmm. knowing that you need to slow down when you're making non-sport decisions. Our leading probably presentation is, we talk about decision-making. You as an athlete are programmed to make split-second decisions. And the reality is that split-second decision is just a learned behavior, right? You've done it over and over and over again. And so if you've never decided on what college to go to, if you've never decided on how to transfer, if you never decided on where to live, you never decided on what car to buy, if you don't create a process and you just kind of start from scratch, you're not getting any rep. And so we want to focus on these life skills, decision-making. That's a life skill that's going to help you set yourself up for success. So whether it's an NIL, whether it's in selecting a business partner, selecting a business to invest in, selecting a school to go to, selecting a mentor, we always want to focus on, hey, we're adding value via life skills. And ultimately, we don't benefit or lose regardless of what decision you make, we want you to make the best decision for you. And I think that's one of our biggest selling points and why schools like us and why athletes benefit from our relationships because we don't yeah. direct them to the guy or a girl or a woman. Like it's, hey, focus on you, do what's best for you, and we're gonna empower you to make that decision. Yeah, so fascinating, honestly, having this conversation because there've been so many resounding themes throughout what you have said. I'm just kind of taking it all in. like. Even with what you're saying right now, what you guys are teaching folks is to obviously focus on building out the process and then put in the correct inputs and then don't worry about the outputs, the correct outputs. If you have the right process and you know what to do at this specific times and you put in the right inputs, the outcome is going to be what you want, right? Yeah. Given that you've done your due diligence. So it's really interesting to hear that, just hearing like the approach that you take, like more of like an educational approach obviously wanted to make sure that you're having that right impact overall and making sure that folks take a really disciplined approach to big life decisions as opposed to split second ones that will have a lot more ramifications. Yeah. And I would say we do have acronyms and like actual processes. I don't want to get into them because I, I do yeah, feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People might feel like, yo, like you said all this stuff, but you ain't saying nothing. It's like, we have them. Like that's why the yeah. school's like because we don't just say like make good decisions. We say, this is why I said, you know, step-by-step. Step. Of so, course. Just to add that, I mean, that could be a whole separate conversation, but but that's where the real value is added because it's yeah. simple, it's repeatable, it's something they don't like, and so we absolutely, you know. Well, they got to pay for the information before they get there. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They got to pay for the information. We can't give them everything. It's just a little teaser. There you go. So from your standpoint, if you had to look back and give yourself advice pre-pivot, I want to know what advice you would give yourself. And then post pivot currently, what advice do you like consistently remind yourself or what will you continuously tell yourself in the future as advice? So pre pivot, one thing I would have did, my brother told me to do this. I didn't do it. I would have, I would have maxed out my retirement. That was something I would have done. And the reason is I'm a firm believer that I can always find more money. I was just conservative because like, until I saw it grow in my retirement account, I think I was always that sheltered kid that was like, I can read about it. I could see the historical data, but like, until I started to see it grow, I was like, damn, like, yeah. I don't know if I'll trust anybody with my money. Right. So, so yeah. that's the thing that I always invested because I knew that it was good for me, but I think mm -hmm. that because of my experience that I kind of highlighted earlier, I would have been more aggressive and mm -hmm. maxed out those accounts. So that's one piece of advice that I would give myself. 
and then you know now but when we talk about what i've learned you know the compounding effect of investing sure. your and, and things of that nature so that's one thing i would have told myself prior now i think post pivot i think it's a quote that i can see it in my head everything you want is on the other side of fear so i say that to say i'm a person that's been interested in starting a podcast i'm a person that's interested in writing a book and i have outlines and i have all these things and one of the things that i fear is that i know that i can obsess over things and i don't want to i almost don't want to overwork myself from the standpoint i commit to it i'm going to do it right so in terms of and i give you this example i was a football coach a couple of years ago i stopped doing it but my thing was if i committed to these young men i could not not show up for them because that would be a bad representation of everything I asked them to do for me. I asked them to be disciplined. I asked them to show up. I asked them to do X, Y, and Z. So I just had to step away from it because when I was in the ring or when I was an option, I was overextending myself doing that, doing this. I was training a lot more in person. I was doing so many things. And so post pivot, I would say I learned to say no, but I still have yet to maximize like getting uncomfortable. Because I'm still in this space where I like where I'm at, but I could be doing more. In terms of, I know that I have more bandwidth. You know, to this day, my fear is as soon as I go, I'm going to, I'm going to be going. When I say I'm going to be going, is like, I'm just going to be running, running. And, and so I can rationalize in my head why I don't need to, but then I can also, I know that I need to, you know what I mean? I just, yeah, you just have to do it. And I'm sure you probably felt that way. Like when you wanted to start the podcast, like hundred percent. You had a million things a little bit like you know that you can do it. We talked about the editing. You know that you can do it. Like yep. it's just yep. that's my that's that's my post pivot. It's just everything I want is on the other side of fear. So holding court, holding ongoing conversation about money with athletes, with influential individuals, and like you see it with like earning your leisure. You see like all these different episodes where it's like people want and need that. Yeah, so much value from that. And even if I just were to stay in the world of nil. There's so many athletes that would benefit from conversations, yeah. other athletes. And so giving the seat that I have, the value that I could bring to the table, it's something I'm going to do. I just, I'm going to do it. But that's what I was saying. Like everything I want is on the other side of fear. Don't yeah. fear work. The work is, work is, it is. What hey, you, use your, you use your time efficiently and you have the discipline to do it. So I believe that you will. I believe that you will, honestly. Just overall, just want to understand from you, like, what's next? What are you excited about? anything to announce like what is exciting Rashad right now in the future it's so funny I think biggest thing for my team is our mobile app so we have a mobile app that we're providing to high schools and as you can imagine when NIL went online with college you're allowing just under 500,000 athletes to potentially tap into this space mm -hmm. well, with it going live in high school you're potentially allowing 8 million athletes to tap into NIL. So with that scale, with that opportunity comes a risk, right? It comes different players entering the space, trying to take advantage of families, individuals, and make money off them. But it's also not even that they're trying to take advantage. They just don't know what they're doing, right? So it's, yeah. uh, you don't know what you don't know, but to a person that doesn't know any better, you know, maybe a single mother or a mother and father that work so much that they don't really understand the space. It's a conversation that don't really have any legs to stand on and you don't really have any way to push back. So one of the things I'm super excited about for our team is 
our mobile app, we're delivering it to the high school space now, but the conversation is early. The conversation, well, we're 30 states in and we're still having these conversations every day with athletic directors, heads of school, teachers, coaches. We're trying to educate them about the space because if it's something that's inevitable, if it's something that the collegiate landscape is embracing, it's something that you want to be well-versed on because at some point, you know, it's going to become a recruiting tool for you. At some point, it's going to be a selling point for you. And so that's what I'm most excited about is our expansion into the high school space where we can, again, impact more families, impact more individuals, impact more coaches, impact more schools. Because I think that ultimately it's going to create opportunities. It's going to create monetary opportunities, compensation opportunities for individuals. And it's going to take education of those businesses, those families, and those coaches. So it'll, it'll take time, but our app should accelerate that process across the country. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Moving at scale. Right. At scale. Moving at scale. Well, to wrap up here or ask about any parting words of wisdom, obviously you've given us a lot from this time, but any last words that you know, someone who's inspired by this, is listening to this, wants to make a similar kind of power pivot themselves. What are some parting words that you would say? So I mentioned this company I started right after college. The message is kind of what I live by. So the company is called Stay Cool, but the four principles were stay optimistic, stay positive, stay focused, and stay true. And through these principles, we strive to redefine cool, unintimidated by the status quo. And so again, the optimistic just means expect favorable outcomes, stay positive, you know, surround yourself with positive people. Everybody knows what positive feels like. They know what that energy feels like. They know that vibe. Stay focused. You know, I look at focus, you know, stay mission driven, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Some people like goals. If you're a goals person, having those goals down. Uh, but we know what distractions look like. We know yeah. that we can get kind of on the wrong path. And then stay true is like, what gets you fired up on the inside? What's your passion? Stay true to yourself. If you feel like you're giving up too much of yourself for something, I would encourage you to kind of lean the other way. I, I know this to be true. I think everybody has a price in terms of, hey, if somebody were to give you a million dollars, you'd probably do a certain job for a certain amount of time. It's like, oh, million, my first million. Like, I'll do that. But at your core, you know, staying true to who you are and understanding that investing in that version of yourself now and that compounding effect of the investment in yourself and the skills that you're going to develop, you can't really calculate it, right? It is something we all should be confident in. We should trust. And the world is the world is very different now. So there's several ways to get to what we want. And so I encourage people to explore, learn, and forever learners. Well, there you have it, y'all. There you have it. Rashad, thank you so much for all this, man. Really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you, man. I like talking if you don't know. So <laughs> do it more, man. I got to do it more. We'll have to do a part two. We'll have to do a part two. Cool. I appreciate it. Of course. And thank you all for tuning in. Please remember to like and subscribe for more. Most importantly, pivot powerfully. Be well, everyone.